Chapter 41 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 41 True Comfort. Every allowance should be made for a man who is in deep trouble, not because it is his due, for that would count but a little, but because he expects it, which he never does of his other debts after experience. But he does hope to receive fine feeling when he knows how cheap it is and his sense of bad luck blackens in him when he cannot even get that much. And yet he ought to feel how trumpery are his trivial joys and sorrows in the whirligig of this great world. He does his utmost thus to take it, to shudder at the wrongs of others, and to glow at their redress, to suck his fingers more and more with the relish of his neighbor's pie, and perhaps with practice he begins to get some moonlight pleasure thus. But alas, before he is perfect in it, some little turn of thought comes home, some soft remembrance thrills his heart as the sun quivers in a wellspring, and all his nature lets him know that he belongs to it and is itself. A little touch of this kind took me, when I was full of higher things, or at least was trying so to be. I had not been to church since my day of dole, my day of doom and desolation." How could I go to Sunbury Church and see the spot where Kitty stood and stole my whole devotion, and see the altar rails where she had knelt and vowed herself mine forever, and now, with no Kitty at my side, be stared at by a hundred eyes, all asking, Well, how do you get on? But now in this strange place I went to the Sunday morning service, though Kitty had been there too with me in the happy days not long gone by. My aunt came with me, and with much fine feeling allowed me to sit where my dear had sat, and to put my hat on the selfsame peg on which she had placed it for me. At first it was a bitter time, but I went through it bravely, though at first I could not bring myself to open the prayer book, which I had brought in the bag with my clothes from Sunbury. My wife had given it to me at Baycliffe, when I happened to admire it in a window, and I remembered that she had written Kit, and nothing else, on the fly-leaf, but the first psalm for that morning service, being a very sad one, suited my state of mind so well that I opened my book to follow it. And I remember reading with all my heart, My heart is smitten down and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. I am become like a pelican in the wilderness, and like an owl that is in the desert. Perhaps through the shaking of my thumb the cover of the book fell back and showed me some words on the fly-leaf written with a pencil by my own dear wife. Before the word Kit, which was in ink, she had written with a pencil, Darling, and after it, God's will be done. The writing was faint as if the pencil wanted cutting, and it seemed to have been dashed off in great haste. This, then, was her farewell to me. I was sure that the words had not been there the last time I used the prayer book, and indeed there would have been no meaning in them. Over and over again I read them, forgetting everything else, I fear, and standing up after the first lesson had begun, until my aunt gave my coat a jerk. I longed to rush out of the church and think, and the rest of the service went by me as a dream. Though very little light was thrown hereby upon my dark enigma, I found more comfort, perhaps, than reason would warrant in this discovery. In the first place, if my wife had left me in bitterness at some fancied wrong, she would never have addressed me thus, and this alone removed a weight of misery from my bosom, for it had been agony to me to think, as I could not help doing, 
that my own kitty all the while was nursing bitterness against me, as if it had been possible for me to wrong her, and again, that she should not have gone entirely without a word was a piece of real comfort to me, though others who have been not so placed may think that I was foolish there. Very likely I was, but never mind. The prayer book, as we all acknowledge, is a very noble work, and nobody can write such English now as is to be found in it at every page, and I think that Kitty was quite right in choosing it for her last word to me. But if it comes to that, she was always right, at least according to my ideas. Strange as it may seem to some who cannot enter into odd states of mind such as long had been my lot, I did not say a word as yet to my Aunt Parslow about this matter. She had formed her own theory like everybody else, and I meant to let her go through with it, and so she did that afternoon, having put great pressure upon herself, for my sake, as she told me, to enable her to hold her tongue until she could speak with advantage and without any risk of being taken by anyone for a meddler. For she liked to dine early on Sundays, and she always denied herself the pleasure of going to church in the afternoon, being one of the most unselfish persons I have ever met with. After a dinner not to be gainsaid, at any rate till supper time, we sat in the garden and listened to the bells, and thought with pleasure of the congregation now going to have a hot time of it. I was full of tender recollections, for this was the very spot where Kitty had shown some delightful want of reason about Sally Chalker, and I told my aunt all about it now, with a sigh at the back of every smile. Then she laughed with superior wisdom, and no longer could contain herself. I knew she was a jealous little puss. Every woman has her fault, almost as much as men have. It took me a long time to discover any fault in her until I started that idea myself. To make up for the want of other faults, she has that one to an extreme, you see, and that is at the bottom of your present trouble, my poor boy. But she has carried it to an extreme, I admit. It seems a little too absurd. It is too absurd to be thought of twice, I answered rather savagely. My kitty is not quite a fool and she would have been something worse than a fool if she had acted from that motive. She would have been unjust and cruel not to afford me so much as a chance of clearing myself from wicked lies. Our married life was short indeed, but long enough for her to learn that I am not a scoundrel. Don't be so hot, Kit. You have no idea what a woman's mind is. She thought you, of course, a perfect angel, and herself not good enough to wipe your shoes. She was always humble, as you know, and that tyrant of a woman must have beaten into her poor head a bitter sense of her own defects. It is only natural, she would think, that this great wonder of a man should want someone better than poor me. And when some villain laid before her some strong evidence, we know not what, she would say to herself, It is as I thought. I will not trouble him to explain. I will leave him for a while, and perhaps his love will return when he has lost me. With this in my heart I could not bear to look at him, and know all the while he was longing to be rid of me. I will have no scene which would only make him think even less of me than he does. And so she would go without caring where. Possibly, aunt, some women might have done so, but not Kitty. She felt to her heart my affection for her and she trusted me, as I trusted her. Do you suppose that if what you say had even seemed possible to me, I should have remained as I have done, 
waiting for some news of her. I should have rushed up to everyone who had any motive for deceiving her and taken them by the throat and wrung their wicked, murderous lies out. No, it is something much worse than that. If Kitty had left me in pestilence, would she have written these last words? Would she have called me her darling, Kit? See what I found this morning? That proves nothing, resumed my aunt when I had shown her my prayer book and we had discussed that matter. She may very well have relented at the last moment and written that to you. Then would she have taken all our money? Was that the way to cure my jealousy and bring me back to her in penitence? She had a right to the money because you put it into her own hand, but I am astonished at her taking it. Miss Parslow was even more astonished when I told her that part of the tale which I had begged Uncle Corney not to do. It grieved me that she should ever hear of it, but she certainly had the right to know. Perhaps you told her in so many words that you meant it entirely for herself, I suggested, hoping that it might be so, for little as I cared for that trumpery loss, I was cut to the quick that my wife should have inflicted it. Kitty must have believed it her own, or she never would have touched it. I said nothing of the kind, my aunt replied indignantly. I gave it to her, but I meant it for you, that is to say conjointly. Her taking it was robbery and nothing else. I laughed a little at these words, which I had heard from other quarters. That my kitty should be called a robber seemed a little too absurd, but I could not be angry in the teeth of facts, at any rate with the donor. I'll tell you what it is, she said, even as I had been told before. Either your wife is as deep a little hypocrite as ever lived, which I cannot believe, for I should never trust anyone again if I did, or else she ran away from you in a moment of insanity. My poor boy, I'm so sorry for you. I cannot bear to ask you, but have you ever noticed any tendency that way? Anything even odd or absent or inconsequential in her manner? The professor is a very queer man, I have heard. All great men of science are, well, to say the least, eccentric. Captain Fairthorne is perfectly sound and clear-headed, though not a good man of business, and his daughter is as rational as I am, much more so if I am to endure much more of this. She is quick and bright-witted and full of common sense, except that, like her father, she is a little too confiding. I never saw a token of even the slightest absence of mind about her, her only insanity was that she loved me a great deal better than she loved herself. I believe she would have laid down her life with pleasure. Don't talk about it, my dear Kit. I think you have borne things wonderfully well now that I know all you have told me. And you must not break down now, my dear. All will come right in the end, be sure, although we are in thick darkness now. In spite of all difficulties, I still hold to my idea of jealousy. However, we won't talk about that any more. You know that I called upon Miss Coldpepper the last time I was at Sunbury? Yes, but I never heard what she said. I cannot see how she could help us at all. Well, I thought it worth while to try, and I found her much kinder than I expected. A little bit stiff at first, perhaps, and rather of the grand lady style, but I am sure that she would help you if she could. She likes Kitty better than her own nieces. That I am quite sure of, and she does not side a bit with that horrid Mrs. Fairthorne, at least as everybody makes her out. 
although I always form my own opinion. She perceived, of course, that I was a lady and not to be treated as a fruit-grower might be, such as everybody looks upon as a sort of apple pie. I explained that my connection with your Uncle Orchardson was casual and had been against my wishes, while my family had been in the china trade, and she asked very kindly if I would have a cup of tea. I accepted because I knew how it makes ladies talk. When she asked me what I thought of it, I said it was poor stuff, for I had no idea of being patronized by her, and I saw that she had sense enough to like the truth, especially when it was to her advantage, although not very complimentary. Then she asked me where she could get a better article, and I told her that I never recommended any place, having nothing to do with any business now, but living in a very pretty place of my own. Naturally, this made her press me more, and not liking to be disagreeable, I told her of a place, whereby taking twelve pounds she could get a tea worth two of hers, for fifteen pence a pound less money. And this made a very fine impression upon her, for she loves good value for her money. Then she became very gracious indeed, especially after her cur of a dog came in and smelling souvenirs of my high breed, did his utmost to improve himself by licking them. For your sake, Kit, I was obliged to say that the wretched mongrel looked well-bred. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, never mind, Aunt. He has done me a good turn. I remembered in time to stop sharply. My Aunt Parslow would take it as worse than high treason that I should ever have stolen such a dog, and how could I call it a good turn now? No dog would do you a bad turn, Kit she continued quite serenely. At any rate, no well-bred dog. They are as good as a woman, and infinitely better than any man, in judging human character. Now listen to what I have to say. I am not very sharp, for I live out of the world, and everybody owns that it gets much worse from year to year and from day to day. But I don't care twopence for that, my dear, because nothing I can do will alter it, only I am as sure as I am of the nature of the very best dog I ever had, and there he lies beneath that tree, that your kitty has never done a thing to wrong you, at least according to her view of things. I will not attempt to explain that money matter, for it is beyond me, and I am sorry that I spoke so harshly. I should have considered your feelings more, for I know that you are as true as steel. There is some black secret that we cannot pierce, it will all become clear as the day in time, and in time I hope for your happiness. I can well understand that you have been stopped in all your inquiries by that strange device, for I believe it to be another device on the part of some very crafty foe. You have let some weeks go by through that. No good has ever come, so far as I know, of any of those private inquiry places, and I hate the very name of them, but I think that you are bound to watch the proceedings of those two villains who carried off your kitty to that vile place near Hounslow. Of course they would never take her there again, that you have ascertained long ago, and I do not believe that they have got her now. She should be no good to them, as a married woman, but they know where she is, I am sure of that. You have been in a maze of dejection and distress, your pride has prevented you from doing what you should have done. Go and see those two men. Hunt them out. 
Take the matter entirely into your own hands. Your uncle Cornelius is very good and kind, but it is not his wife who is missing. Those two men are not in London. That much has been ascertained, I said, and it does not appear that they were in London at the time at the time of my trouble. Never mind. Find out where they are. Follow them. Never mind where it is. As for money, you shall have another hundred pounds, and a thousand if it proves needful. Don't thank me, Kit. It is for my own peace. I have not enjoyed seeing a dog eat his dinner since this wickedness was done. You shall thank me as much as ever you like when you have got your kitty back again, and she will love you ten times more than ever. End of chapter 41